Hey everybody, this is Blake with Marvel.com, and we have another very special group with us today for the This Week in Marvel podcast. Please introduce yourselves, sirs. Hi, I'm Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. <laughs> and I'm also Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. <laughs> we have Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. It'd um, be, be cool if it were. That dude, that dude seems cool. Actually, they might be coming by really? at some point, too. Yeah, because so. they're playing in town. Not right now. Oh, but they're playing in but. town tonight at City Field. Uh, well, we have you. Should we start? All right, we're sorry. We're sorry. We're already taking this thing off the rails. Hi, I'm Ryan. I play in the band Guster. Uh, I'm Brian, and I play drums in the band Guster. Brian and Ryan, and I, I was gonna uh, avoid this part about the podcast, but Alec, our intern's here with his flamingo shirt on, and Alec said you guys played at his college last year, and he didn't show up. What's up with that, Alec? I, I I have no excuse for that one. Where what college was it? I'm pretty sure you guys played Ithaca College, right? Mm, no, maybe. Maybe, maybe I made that up. <laughs> I don't know. You have an awesome flamingo shirt. Yeah, don't Thank let you him. Very don't. Much. Yeah, you got a buck. What are you gonna have a cart? You're gonna have like a comic book character on your shirt. You got to think different. You're doing great. I support you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I I gotta say, I, I was at your show last night in Central Park. I was telling you earlier, I've been to a lot of shows. At Central Park Summer Stage, and I've never seen so many people there. That's got to be a really good feeling to have that many people know all the songs and everything. Like, yeah, it was pretty packed for a Monday, and uh, everyone was just sweating on their neighbor. It was really <laughs> hot. I'm I'm in that weird part of the tour where I'm like getting all contemplative and I'm getting all zoomy out macro about the whole thing. Where I'm like. Whoa, we've been a band for 24 years, and there's still 4,000 people that want to spend, you know, 35 or $40 to come see our band in New York City. It's weird. And the, so, <laughs> and even, like, how, how the album, the last album's been out for since... January. Since, oh, okay, so uh, our fans are obviously singing along to those songs now. Yeah, and it feels like... Yeah, there was no dip in the set when we played a new song, and that's... I'll take that as a compliment. That's not true of Latter Day uh, Latter Day REM. You know what I mean? When they went to an, into Adventures in Hi Fi, that crowd went and got a beer. But those guys had real hits. We just have fake hits. <laughs> and they had fake. a lot. They had a lot better. They had a lot more and a lot better. Right? They're so much better than we are. <laughs> so what I'm taking from this podcast right now for fans listening is listen to REM. REM's great. <laughs> early REM is great. It'll, early and mid. REM is fantastic. Oh, I'm such a fan. I feel like they kind of um, they broke up and went off into the sunset without enough fanfare, and so that means they have to come back at some point. I'm ready. He's ready. <laughs> I want to. This is the thing I'm most curious about, and I I'm sure you get this question a lot, but like you chose to your main hit was Satellite, obviously, and you chose that was like the second to last song last night, or oh yeah, yeah. that's right. We we put it in the end. It's have not you, it's not like people would would leave if we played it at the midway point it's we're not that kind of band um, yeah and it's funny to even call it a hit because i don't actually think it was like the technically the highest uh god yeah, barf almost, on these words i'm about to say <laughs> charting single or whatever but i think it is the one that's sort of the most indelible mm-hmm. and like has the best attempt at being in the like canon of songs that you know, people listen to that might include our band. It's still a fake hit, but it's yeah, it's less a, fake, of a hit. fake hit than the others. It's not like a real hit. Like, uh, tell me, what do you know? Breakfast at Tiffany's. You say I think <laughs> I in the films. You know what I mean? Like that one, Deep Blue Something. Look, look at you. <laughs> See, it's not a hit like that. Or 
Let's think of some other hits. This one goes <laughs> yeah, out to the one I love. Or there's that one train song where he's talking about the best soy latte he ever had. Those are all the hits I can think That's of. That's all the hits I can think of. Of all music. All, all of music. That's all I got. Those three. Deep Blue Something, <laughs> that one train song, and R.E.M. And so have you, have you ever tried, played it like the... I, I recently saw a band that had their big hit, and they're just like, "We're just getting it out here." Yeah, I like, I respect, and thankfully, we really aren't in that position. Like, you know, there's, there's actually, there's a song, "Come Downstairs and Say Hello" from our. That ends up being sort of a, more of a like emotional peak of a, of the set rather than even the most well known song that's on the radio. So, you know, we space it out. The reason I think we played it late last night is just because our friend. Uh, Kishibashi was going to play violin with us and stuff, but no, we don't. We don't have the problems that uh, plague other millionaires that have made, you know, you know, that have actual real hit songs. That's just sort of our best, most well known. But I, you know, we never, we never had a huge hit on the radio. We never had a huge press thing. Like our whole fan base is all built very organically, word of mouth sort of thing. So that tends to blur all these distinctions between hits and non-hits. I think. How did that happen initially? Did you just kind of like push away from the whole system? No, kind of no, we just rejected us. us. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we tried, and I maybe are still trying to like have a have opportunities to have our songs played at radio and have the press, you know, mainstream press sort of embrace us. But I mean, less so now. But it was definitely, you know, we were signed to a major label on our second record you know after we made our second record they re-released it so we've been in this quote-unquote system forever we write pop music we write three and a half minute songs and we had major labels that were looking to work us at radio so you know um we were we were in that world and you know the songs we wrote um you know never really translated into big hits and we never really wanted to embrace it like oh let's try to write a hit or anything it would have been weird remember when we were like on Goldfly that they were they were or, or Lusting Out Forever the barrel of a gun was supposed to be a thing like I always think of what would happen if that actually had been a big radio hit we definitely wouldn't still be a no, band we wouldn't still be a band which is interesting what was that? I just think it would have put a weird spin on the whole thing and mm-hmm. it would have put us under a microscope in a way that we weren't able to you know get better and write better records yeah I think flying under the radar and um always having a little bit of an axe to grind um, has helped us every time we write an album um, hone in on something more and more classic we definitely we definitely feel like there's a fire lit under our yeah but I would I wouldn't you know I, don't, I think later in our career we would it would have been fine I mean, there, we do have this thing, the reverse curse, where all these bands open up for us and then go on and win Grammys and win and sell millions of records, and those guys seem to be doing fine for the most part. Anybody in particular? You're. I mean, it was like John Mayer, Maroon Five, Fun, uh, Train, Avett Brothers. They all won Grammys. Yeah, <laughs> there's a few of them. Did you ever have to like open for them? Oh yeah, there was like there was one there was one tour because. John Mayer opened up for us on this little run and then we booked a tour like a year or two later where it was a quote unquote co-headliner where our names were the same size font and everything and by and like like at the beginning of the tour it was already by the end of the tour he was just demolishing us I mean it was like so many thousands of people that we would never have brought I mean it's fine I don't know I, I don't have an ego about that stuff uh, I mean for much. us anytime we can get in front of a crowd that'll 
listen to us and maybe like us, that's fine. I always just tell bands that open up for us, don't forget this, because we want to open up for you when you get to be famous, <laughs> because you got to open up for us. I'm serious. I do tell them that. Does the dynamic change? Can you tell during the tour, like, hey, John Mayer's bringing the crowd, so he's got to be the head Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as, like, it wasn't as dramatic. We kind of knew going in. There was, I saw the Strokes open up for this band, the Doves right when the Strokes were and they went on tour and then sometimes that happens with like indie rock bands like blog bands will have to flip and stuff so it wasn't any, anything quite like that but it's you know it's really hard to make it's really hard to connect with an audience it's hard to get those things to, to work on that kind of level so I don't begrudge anybody's success that actually can connect the dots like that it's, it's, it's just impossible to, to make happen so good for you I'm happy for you Adam Levine <laughs> It's funny you mentioned uh, the Kishibashi thing. Like he he played with you guys probably like one one two songs last yeah. night. Was that something like were you friends before you were touring, or like you saw something about him and you wanted him to play on the a couple songs, or, or what? We did a show at the Met Museum in New York um, where we sat on stools and played acoustic and had string arrangements of our songs. And uh, Luke from our band knew Kishibashi and invited him out, and he did this awesome awesome job with the arrangements and uh, it was uh, three years later that we were looking for an opener on this tour and he had a couple of solo albums that had reacted well with people and so literally he's opened every show we've played this year and has been on our bus for months and months so last night we said goodbye it was kind of like heartbreaking but it was one of those things too I don't even know I think that tour kind of happened because I was listening to like I think I was listening to some streaming service and, and this song popped up. I was like, what is this? And I, you know, or it was on, or I shazammed it and checked it. I was like, well, who's Kishibashi? He's awesome. And I Googled him and I found out it was it was Kay, who we had played with before. Oh, wow. I didn't know that he had had this because he played with uh, of Montreal and Regina Spector. And it was just one of those things that our worlds kind of came around. But it, he was a great, he was a great touring partner. We haven't had a, usually it's hard to find a band that works well with your fans that you can kind of there's there's a sensibility that that's crossed over you know finding these these touring you know partners that w w really works on all these levels it's been pretty elusive I and mean, we've been touring for so long and i can't think of anything that has been quite as successful in terms of just vibe for uh internally externally musically it's really complimentary it's not redundant yeah so it, it's hard to find those things so much so that I don't even think we're going to try anymore. Yeah, I mean, when, <laughs> when he wins his Grammy, yeah, exactly. I'll, be, I'll be excited for him. I will be excited for He's him. He's hosting The Voice. Exactly. Well, that's the thing people don't really touch on a lot with bands is like a lot of like successful shows, like it takes a while to pick that right fit to be the opener and people just think you just find some band and you just... And it, can't, it does work that way. There's a lot of politics involved, but our... our we have such a specific relationship with our fans and like we've had things that might have well worked well musically but the attitude of the artist wasn't good or you know what i mean it's just we kind of we have a very like here we are this is what we're doing you know and so the big rock and anytime you sort of put on airs and you you don't kind of come in with like some humility or self-awareness sometimes i think our fans will call bullshit on that or something can i say yeah awesome well, I will have to bleep it out, but oh. I'll say it. 
I, I think I have enough bleep to, to cover that. Yeah, I know. That's uh, what I was going to see how long I, that bleep could be. I, I was going to ask, you mentioned you've been around for over 20 years. Like, this is before the inception of, you know, social media. and whatnot. Or the internet, kind of. We yeah. didn't have email addresses. Um, <laughs> you have a large social media following, though, which is kind of a testament for your to your fans. Like, I mean, it seems like, I guess you guys are just organically doing it and they're just following along, or has it been this, like... I mean, we eventually realized that our, our fans weren't just clicking on Guster.com. They wanted to be addressed on Facebook, and this year we started doing Instagram, and Ryan's been doing the Twitter for a few years now. Um, yeah, we eventually came around on it. We were, you know, we were kind of groundbreaking in the early days of the Internet, the way we kind of got our fans to mobilize and help us distribute our CDs when we weren't really in stores. Um and now we're uh, now we're just another band on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, it, we, there was like there was no real street teams back then. There right. wasn't even a word that was being thrown around. But we would put we would take our old cereal boxes and put ten CDs and a T-shirt to some kid in Oxford, Ohio, and give them a name like Chinstrap. And then we would show up at his like dorm room, be like, "Hey, come to a show," you know. And so we were kind of really aggressively like figuring out how to do this very grassroots DIY marketing like before literally before we I mean I got my first email address when we graduated from college I mean we graduated from school in 1995 so this was all you know the 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 landscape changed so all this felt very natural for us to kind of do this hustling and this you know the social media stuff but we were I don't want to say we invented it but we invented it I mean I think we did there really weren't other bands doing this 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 like I, this like kind of weird way and we weren't following any kind of playbook it was really intuitive of like well we'll have reps and then they'll show up and then we'll get them to like get their their friends together and that's how that's why and when our first 10 years were so inconsistent we would be like huge in Madison and like nobody would come in Milwaukee because it would just be sometimes these pockets would would swell up right. based on these reps like, you know we kept hammering Oxford Ohio to the point where we could sell out a club there and you know not a lot of other bands that prioritize Oxford, Ohio. <laughs> but we would like have like 25 <laughs> people in Cincinnati or something. Yeah. yeah, so it was really, it was funny how this thing all sort of happened. And then, yeah. Do you have a couple people that have been there since the beginning who are kind of like the Garcia heads who like follow you around? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, but like one of them's our manager now, oh, <laughs> Noah. Awesome. They're still in the fold, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing to look out at, you know, the guy that is booking Central Park, the guy that put on the Grateful Dead weekend. Those are all people who were there with us in the beginning. You know. Yeah, we've had a lot of this. It, it is funny. We were, we were. I know. I didn't even tell you this, but Noah and I were talking about like the Guster documentary of going. It feels funny, like. The reason I was so like, oh, we've been around for twenty four years, is because you know. People, I I I use Twitter all the time, and I put Guster in there, and I don't even put the ad at, just like to see what people are talking about, and like people are like throwback or nostalgia or this brings me back, and it's like that in a lot of ways, like it it's like the worst thing ever on some component because like I don't want to be a nostalgia band, I want to be Steve Miller just playing these songs, like we make records and we I think our new records are really good, and we want to be 
uh, band that's contemporary, but I also appreciate that because I also have relationship with a very strong relationship with music. So certain music takes you somewhere, and so we were a you know we were a gateway drug for a lot of people in high school and college to get into cooler music, <laughs> quote unquote cooler music. But our fight all along has been like, well, yeah, while you were out like hanging out with Dirty Projectors or, you know, St. Vincent or Tune Yards, like, we're kind of making cool, weird records, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's been really interesting to see some people be like, yeah, I stopped listening to you guys, like, in 99, but your new record's really good. So that's, like, to me, if we can get this thing of, like, yeah, I used to listen to you guys, but, wow, this stuff is actually good and not in some kind of weird, like, oh, I'll give you guys a pass, but it's, you know... My dream is just in some level to be able to make a record and put it in a brown paper bag and be like, just check us out and like have no associations because there's a real drive to make music that we still care about and not just trade in nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted—I was going to touch on this later, but it seems like a good point. Like you're also really getting well known with the soundtracks right. for films. How did you get involved doing doing that? It was sort of—it was you know. It's, it's sort of coming from the same place of just like I wanted to keep working and the band made all its money from being on the road and I was trying to figure out how can I stay creative how can I stay musical and how can it kind of feed it all feeds each other so I just I just had a, a sort of a lightning bolt moment I worked on a film just as a as a fluke and was like wow I could do this for the rest of my life and then it just was one of those things and I and I think I did a kind of a and then I just worked you know I worked my ass off and I just hustled and tried to get myself in front of people that could hire me and I did commercials for a year just to learn how to make it happen and then I met this guy Colin Trevorrow who in Vermont who uh, wrote this movie Safety Not Guaranteed and I ended up doing that just like it was my first real film and it you know, did really well at Sundance, and then this whole thing happened with Jurassic World, and now there's other crazy stuff happening, you know, with him that's rumored, and uh, and that kind of launched it, and yeah, so now I'm just kind of in this, you know, it's a, it's a pretty well-trod ground. A lot of the contemporary film composers all came from rock bands, like Danny Elfman, even Hans Zimmer was in the Buggles, like, it, like you know, Trent Reznor and all this stuff, but it, it all coming into this Guster record with all this film work that I had done it felt so helpful to be like oh I know how to do this or I'm oh yeah we don't have to worry about these rules because those rules don't matter anymore like it all plays really nicely together so it's been yeah it's been awesome and it's and the film world's really exciting it's just a lot of creativity and you know it's a whole other monster but at the end of the day people are actually trying to make something you know so it came out of somebody's brain and then they're trying to present it in a way that connects with people so there's a lot of similarities uh it's kind of a twofold the same question but like for when did you realize that guster was a tangible thing that clicked and this is going to be your job and when did the the film thing kind of click like this is you well, got the, something here. well, the Guster thing happened. Like we all, we, Brian, Adam, and I were like the we were a trio forever. Uh, we all met the first day of college in 1991, um, and when we graduated in '95, like the day we graduated, we we had already we bought a van. We got in our van. We drove to Chicago. We played a couple shows. We rented an apartment with money that we made from playing shows. We had already made a record the year before. We had been busking 
in Harvard Square and throwing a guitar case out and selling t- CDs for 10 bucks a pop and we had basically made enough money to, to graduate from college and feel like well I guess we're gonna do this <laughs> I guess this is our job <laughs> for now I think that yeah I was like I guess we can make money it's like a leap of faith you know we went to Tufts you know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a cheap school you know, to, but like yeah we could feel the momentum we had sold out the paradise in Boston and we had reason to believe we could do that in every city and so we started driving around the country in circles one mailing list at name at a time and it was really like that. We just spent the first four years out of school in our van. And just, you know, we were really accessible to our fans. Our fans were like two or three years younger than us, you know. So we would sleep on their floors and forge these relationships. And the shows were just sort of, you know, we had a we had a leg up. And that our percussionist, you know, we had an interesting instrumentation that had a visual component. And we also were writing pop songs. So we weren't as... Um, susceptible to trends of like oh this is the sound this year we're doing this now I mean we our first producer was like you're lucky you're a pop band because you could write pop songs forever the pop's never going to go out of style and I didn't even know what that meant then it's like "Ah, weird old guy you don't know what you're talking about but I think that's true like you know our we draw from the Beatles and the Kinks and Van Morrison and Harry Nielsen and R.E.M. and Talking Heads and Wilco and the Shins and all that there's a real you know, there's a real through line between all that stuff of like, oh yeah, so one minute it's like, uh, f- Skrillex is going to talk, take over the world, and we're all going to have to sound like Skrillex if we want to put food on the table. And it's like, <laughs> I've never even heard Skrillex, but I, I'm totally <laughs> nodding my head. Like, yeah, <laughs> and I and like I remember coming to Brian like and being like, we have to make our next record sound like Fatboy Slim. You know, when that Fatboy Slim record came out, and like, you know, not for nothing, we have a lot of keyboards on our new record, so I'm finally getting my way with some of the electronic <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, so that it was, it was, it was, it was definitely we got out of school, and we, and I always called it training wheels because it it those four years allowed us to kind of get the thing up and running without having to worry about day jobs and or and money like you know we were basically being funded by our parents and just being in college and getting college done. Everybody would like to tell you that two other guys graduated with honors, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> So we got our, you know, we got our work done, but then we were kind of up and running and we just got in the van and very slowly, like, you know, it took us a really long time to find a manager and he wasn't even a manager before he was an accountant. He was going to go to music business school or like, just be our guy. And then we found a booking agent and, you know, that was smaller and then we got bigger and we got a record label, like after we had sold a boatload of records and tickets. So we followed this very, it was very much an organic DIY thing um, and that's in that and the whole time was just like wow I guess we're gonna keep doing this and it just slowly expanded and got bigger and then you know the film thing I feel like it could be a very similar trajectory mm-hmm. like started with something really small I got a really nice break working with Colin on a movie that people really liked and then so I had a film at Sundance the next year I had two films at a Sundance then I you know I just had a I just had my fourth film at Sundance with this Tig Notaro documentary and I'm just signing on to another thing, which uh, I, I don't know if I can talk about yet, but it's really, it's the biggest thing I've ever done. So, but I've, all of these, these, uh, all these mechanisms are in place where it's like, I'm young, I'm hungry. I want to prove myself. I want to get better. I want to learn. I want to stay scared. Like all these things that happen with our band are, are kind of repeating itself in this thing, in this way. 
That's awesome. Uh, what do you well, on the side? I guess when you're not touring with the band, you're working on the film stuff, or do you yeah. juggle? How do yes, you juggle? sometimes it overlaps, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I'm starting two films like the day that this tour ends this week. Oh, you wow. know, so I can usually slot things in like that. When when you guys aren't on tour, what are you kind of working on? Lately, I've been um, a dad. Um, I got it's a big deal. I had twins recently. Oh, nice. I, I have three kids. We had seven kids between the three founding members. I'm also a dad, but just a worse one than Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta work. Yeah, I'm like, Let's ask your mother. Go watch. Here's a comic book. Go watch the bootleg Ant Man again, son. <laughs> uh, yeah, Adam does this nonprofit. Um, he and his wife started called Reverb, and he like is pretty much in the office full time when we're off the road and when we're on the road uh, it's pretty amazing um, you know I do some writing and take care of my kids a lot and you know we tour five months this year yeah, it's kind so of been a big year for us yeah I, I could sometimes not work when I get off the road you know but it is one of those things where I just get really fearful you know that any other job you were like oh I can do that for 20 or maybe and that's not the case anymore but I, it used to be like I'm a, I'm working as a paralegal and I will be able to make this money like the, it's such a wild west out there and, mm-hmm. and even our money of what we make and you know having two kids and a wife and this responsibility of like how to raise a family is like really like how you know what how am I going to do this how, so it's all motivated by this very <laughs> primal fear of like being the the breadwinner for your family in this very adult way. Like, really, I'm an adult? This sucks. <laughs> and you mentioned, yeah, you've been on pretty heavy on the road at the beginning of the year, so you'll be off for... You're doing a couple shows here and there, right? Yeah, we have three shows between now and our November. We're going to do a November run. Mm-hmm. Did we announce that yet? Not yet. Oh. oh, you just did. I mean, there is a run in November. We can but yeah. that out, too. No. I think it's all good. All good. <laughs> Uh, what do you do on the road when you're like not playing? Do you have do anything fun, or you just sleep? Or you know, we we actually uh, we surprised some bands when we were like, "Hey guys, we got the day off. We're gonna go whitewater rafting together." <laughs> and the band that will look at us like, "You guys do that together? You guys all hang out?" <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's great. And I don't know, it's 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 nice that our our bonds are strong because you know, 24 years in, they ought to be. Um, and it helps us uh, make music together. And it, but it also <clears throat> is a, you know, we're, we're all, we also have families. And so, like, Brian, you live in Brooklyn, so you're here in New York. So what time did you get up this morning with your family? I got up at 5.30 <laughs> with my sons. Oh, well. <laughs> I went to bed at 2.30 right. after the show. So on tour, it's like vacation. Don't I hope my wife's not listening to this. But, like, I can sleep until 9. And then it's like... Oh, I can read a New Yorker article over a sandwich. You know, like, these are the things that we don't... So when we go on tour now, especially, it's like, we are literally, we're so happy not to be away from our families, but to be away from our families for a minute and, like, get to, like, do stuff. And, you know, there's there it's, it's a lot of work or whatever, and it's hard to be away from your kids and, like, have to FaceTime them every day. And, you know, that kind of... And your wife hates you because, like, <laughs> your, your daughter threw up from 3 until 6 this morning. Like, oh, sorry. I was, like, getting drunk and, like, eating a sandwich at 6 in the morning. But 
Yeah, tours. <laughs> Tour is super fun because we can't. I was also throwing up. <laughs> you don't know what it's like. From partying. This girl, she just kept. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, but I think we're also like, I don't know, I'm still a tourist. We had our bikes on the bus forever, so I would go to museums and go do stuff. I, mean, I think we're pretty, like, proactive guys. Not a lot of sitting around in the bus all day you know it's it's a big it's it's a big world we went to europe for the first time um for three weeks this year in march and like we were like we were like literally like nine-year-olds like we just like let's go do what'd you see oh i gotta go to that like it was so fun to be in these new environments and get to go explore all these new countries and is amazing. What's the like the the secret really to hanging out? Because I've I've heard all the stories of you know the bands that stay together, the ones that have their own green rooms. They don't really talk until they're on stage. Like that's actually true. All the gigantic bands that I know, for the most part, do kind of travel and separate buses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like I got some like behind the scenes on this Grateful Dead thing that just happened. And it's unbelievable the fifty years of stuff that will build up between right. people or Keith and Mick or whatever like Steve we recorded a record with Steve Lillywhite and he talks about the Rolling Stones record he made the worst Rolling Stones record of <laughs> all time, time. <laughs> uh, and he talks about how he never got Keith and Mick in the studio at the same time one would come in the early one would come in late they would never overlap and I'm like well uh that's not probably when they were making their seminal record. <laughs> yeah, their best stuff. Their best stuff wasn't coming from that green room separation, I understand. I'm looking at you, Stroke's third album. Yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it, as far as writing songs together goes, I think the bonds are important and roles and relationships and communication are really key to it. But we got really lucky is what it is. I mean, we met when we were seven, we met when we were 18 years old and the the putting of this band together was arbitrary like Brian said he had a pair of bongos you know mm-hmm. I, 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 was, I lied I had to go buy a pair <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it wasn't like we vetted each other for you know emotional stability or ability to commit or talent or intelligence or business acumen or shared sensibility like all these things developed over 20 years of being in a band together you know I'm an only child but I have these brothers obviously like I know everything I know every relationship they've had for the most part you know so it's just like well we're in this family and and there there's been a lot of points along this journey where it was like well, I don't know if we're ever going to do anything else again because that sucks and I can't imagine getting in a room with any of those guys. Like, there's all kinds of trauma that happens constantly. But, I mean, less so now and not so much recently because there is this real sense of the greater good being served of like, wow, I can't believe we get to do this. And if we can if we can honor this in a way that all feels like artistically um, that has integrity for us artistically then we can really like playing Central Park or even playing Boston last week you know we headlined the show and I mean the newspaper said 50,000 people which I'm sure wasn't true but there was it was one of the biggest shows we've ever headlined and, and this far in you just kind of be like wow and that speaks to what I was saying before about how hard it is to do anything mm-hmm. see so many friends so incredibly talented that put out records that get maybe .1 second look by anybody and then they're forgotten and then they go on tour and they play to like 45 people and then they get dejected and they don't make records anymore and, and 
that's like that's where I feel that real sense of gratitude of like oh we have to honor people's trust in us and we have to do really good work we have to honor our relationship to each other you know that that kind of stuff is where it gets really heady and, and cool and it's got to be really fulfilling though I mean with these these fans still coming back after all these years too yeah, I don't think we'd be doing it if they weren't still there mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I would go with that but, yeah. it, but no but some I, people do yeah, some people do, uh, uh, but you know, it, it helps drive us to feel the reward. You know, feel people react to what we do, and you know, we don't really care what they think of our new direction. We always go one step further than they expect us to, and every time we release an album, they're shocked and just like, "This doesn't sound like Guster, but oh, but it's kind of good." So uh, we we take them seriously, except when it comes to creating music and what's. But then generally it just it just kind of gets assimilated into the thing, you know. Satellite which was our, you know, truly like was probably one of the biggest things was on our fifth record, you know. So this was way after we had already like abandoned our original sound or whatever. So you know, that was a career highlight. That was a, you know, a, a creative highlight that far in. And I think all our stuff, you know, is still we still have that real hunger to 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 hit those bars and to make those make those songs just as indelible you know? I want to I gotta mention too last night you played uh, what was it Come On Eileen yeah I think spot on rendition oh really do you do covers uh, it shows a not lot not usually well we did for a while I, mean, I think we stopped in the last it's been a while we did Talking Heads cover maybe 10 years ago It's we don't do a lot of covers but I don't know we were playing Bonnaroo this year and we wanted to do something and we had Kishibashi traveling with us to play the violin and we have we can all play banjo in the band so we're like F it let's play come on and we were that opening up for great. Tears for Fears so we were like <laughs> what can amazing. we look at well we were right before Tears for Fears at Bonnaroo we were like what's some weird 80s song with like violin and I actually think that song's really great mm-hmm. I think it's actually a good song like you know like a great pop song like Our House by Men Our House is like that's a great song right. so I don't know I thought that was kind of weird I, I like doing co- I like seeing bands do covers sound good? it was great yeah wait was- I, I have a bunch of questions though what? I want to talk about can we talk about Marvel? we were about to get into that because okay, I want to know some stuff can Did- you edit that last like 40 minutes down to like 10 <laughs> just minutes. the last part Alec come on this is all just a warm up to only Marvel yeah, questions, all the Marvel questions. But I, want, no, I, want, I did want to bring up the, the fact that like you mentioned Brian that you we played the Spider-Man theme song <laughs> which was not written by which was not written by the Ramones oh no, no the they covered it oh, on uh, one of the films but oh, okay. you said you get charged every time you, you hear that song yeah I mean neither Ryan nor I have a lot of um comic books or superheroes in our past but but when I was looking at the walls of Marvel I realized that the version of Spider-Man and I'm sure it's had several incarnations over the decades the version that I watched in the 80s uh still haunts me because that music <laughs> pumped me up so much when I was eight years old right and and hearing it now I still get like the chills and like watching that um the whatever uh, graphics go along with the theme song was Spider-Man going between the buildings kind of in this like wavy curve holding onto his web and it's just like wow this is this is in my DNA yeah you know what it made me think of when I saw that was the Spider-Man video game for Atari 2600 <laughs> I think what? that was how I interfaced yeah it's been like you would shoot a web and go between buildings cause I was like way more of a video game nerd than like a comic book dude you know 
But wait, hold on. This is my Marvel question. All right. This this whole like because we're in a pretty sprawling <laughs> offices and there's like layers of security and fancy art. Like this is this all a result of the movie stuff that's been happening in the last? Some. I mean, they pre- they keep a tight lit lock on the the comics as well. Like they don't want to like. But then was it? But the... was this was Marvel thriving before there was Marvel films? Uh, the films obviously brought it to another level, but I mean. With the, some of the cartoons, it was a pretty big deal. The cartoons? Uh, like yeah. in the 90s? Maybe? 90s cartoons, yeah. The X-Men cartoon was a big, right. like, big thing. And the Spider-Man cartoon was a pretty big deal, too. Like, you know, And the yeah. Incredible Hulk TV show, you yeah. know, Blue Ferrigno and things like that. You know, But the movies have obviously transcended a lot of... Yeah, of it's insane. Yeah. It's yeah. been a crazy thing. You mentioned you, should, you and your son watched Ant-Man. Yeah. yeah. Or no, I, I went to Ant-Man on Sunday, mm-hmm. but we've but my I've seen some Marvel movies with my son. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I saw Ant-Man on Sunday. Is he a big comic superhero? In- he no. is. It's weird. My son's 5 mm-hmm. and we live in Vermont. So I don't know we're in this weird zone about the gun thing. Like, what do we do with guns and like superheroes have guns and there's killing, but like I don't even, and I am not, I know I'm probably the worst dad, I'm just talking about it on <laughs> wherever who's listening, but, like, we haven't, I'm still figuring out my way into, like, when is it cool to talk, to, to have, you know, violence and video games. Like, I literally, like, my kid, my parents did not give a They gave me a TV in my room, video games, there was no screen time, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I was an only child, so I did everything that I wanted, and... I'm, you know, I'm fine, you know, for the most part. So, like, I'm trying to figure out these things and, like, how do I interface? Because, like, I want to get him comic books. Like, he's totally, he's never seen Star Wars, but he's totally into, like, the Star Wars universe. Like, kind of through the Lego thing and stuff. So, I'm figuring out my way how to do this without showing him, like, people getting killed mm-hmm. and stuff. And I bought my, kid, my son a squirt gun. He's three, and he was psyched. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Like, what did I just start, do? Yeah. What did I just do? Exactly. And, like, my, my uh, she won't hear this, but my mother-in-law brought my, bought my daughter a Barbie the other day. And I, like, when I was here, of course, on the road, where I'm, like, trying to parent over the phone, and my wife's like, uh-uh. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I gotta be, you know, like, I'm very aware of this stuff, and I don't think it really, like, like I said, like, I grew up on all this stuff, and I have no violent tendencies, but I'm just so hyper aware of it, like, oh, shoot, there's a gun, and what does that mean now, and that's all changed in the context, so... Mm. I, I I think it's beautiful. Like, you know, even the Star Wars stuff, watching him interface, like, I can sense his imagination really taking off. So I, I stand behind it on a, on a, on so many levels, but I just want to be really careful. I don't know. I think I just, you just have to be careful as a parent not to just make these sort of blanket statements of, like, this is okay. Like, I, I, and I haven't really parsed it enough to know how I feel about it. I mean, I know I could take him to go see Inside Out. You know what I mean? Which is also really imaginative and beautiful. Is that also in the Disney umbrella? It's all cool. <laughs> oh, that's you cool. You know what's interesting, though, is like my daughter's perception of Barbie is uh, flavored by watching the Toy Story movie where they pretty much mock Barbie. Exactly. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> you know? And so she's kind of anti-Barbie because it's like, too girly or whatever. Exactly. And I think my daughter was like, Daddy, why don't you want me to have a Barbie? And I was like, because it sets unrealistic body image goals for young women. And my wife was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have to talk to her like an adult. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm trying to, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. So, were you a Star Wars? Oh, 
You know, massive, we, we do Star Wars comics now. Massive, so, massive. Star all our Wars. comics are in canon with the films. Oh, really? Yeah. Between the Return and Empire. Wait, so is Ant is Ant Man part of the Avengers universe? Because they kept talking about the Avengers in the Ant Man movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it. I we'll thought see. it was a Movie wise, we'll see. But was it in the comics historically? Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. So cool. Yeah. Star Wars was gigantic. And then they played the Star Wars trailer in front of Ant-Man the other day. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. That was cool. And it's the same one I uh, saw online. It was the J.J. Abrams one. But mm-hmm. then, yeah, I mean, it, I'm just so excited to see this next round, especially with, like, J.J. and then Ryan. And then, you know, there was a rumor that Colin was attached for, for Nine, that uh, Colin Trevorrow was talking, he and Derek, who did, you know... So I was like, hmm. So then you'll be... And like, all I'm saying is, like, I was like, all right, dude, I'm going to be a nine. I have to be... I want to get shot. I want to be... I want to get in the Star Wars movie. Potentially welcome to the family. Uh, <laughs> right? Let's see. What what has to happen for this to happen? Let's see. Colin has to get the job. <laughs> it's like in eight years or whatever, they'll be ready for that. But, yeah, that stuff was just in, in, in just indelible for me. This uh, Just all the action figures. So much so that, like... My son knows I have them, and I won't let him look at them. Like, I don't want him to play with them, because oh, I don't well. want him to break them. Is that's that bad? That. That's bad. No, I know it I is. Those are it's bad. pretty important <laughs> figures. I right? Like, I held on. I'm 42 years old, and I'm, like, hoarding my Legos and my Star yeah. Wars figures. Like, don't play with this. Yeah. All right, thanks. You make me feel better. Ob- obviously, music is such a, a big deal for you guys. Have you, have you tried to transition your talk your kids into getting into music or are you just kind of letting it just you know what I've realized is if you try to talk your kids into anything they're going to push back (laughs) that's fair so the instruments are there in both of our houses and I'm sure our kids will have their moment where they're either excited about it or not I mean my boys are they're pretty psyched about the drum kit Um, my daughter's doing piano lessons and enjoys them for now but I don't want to force them on anybody because I know that's how you build the resentment that leads to a lifetime of resisting something that would otherwise be good for you. Or it's like you're Jacob Dylan and you're trying to be your dad, and that's really hard because your dad was Bob Dylan. Right. Even though you wrote one none of our, headline. None of our kids have that problem. <laughs> You'll be able to beat me. No problem. Oh, satellite? That's four chords and a word, dude. Wait, what, what kid was more famous than their father? Uh, let's see, uh, Rufus Rainwright. Okay, Rufus Rainwright was pretty. Uh, Woody, Woody Guthrie. No, Arnold Guthrie was the son. Uh, okay, good one. There was a, oh uh, J- uh, Jeff Buckley was probably more famous than Tim Buckley. That's right. That's fair. Um, yeah, sometimes, but like you know, Danny Harrison, who I know, and like you know Sean Lennon, and then I always find those things where it's like, oh, you guys are writing songs. Like inevitably, that comparison is going to happen. Teddy Thompson or. Paul Simon or Paul McCartney's kid right. like, I think it all just becomes part of their thing and this is what I love to do and I'm not trying to you know but inevitably those things happen I yeah I don't know that I would wish my kid a career in music or anything I just want them to, you know to be happy and kind and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah I think I, I would I would hope I do I do like to really push the creativity stuff be like well draw or like let's make a story or like that stuff I'm way more aggressive than you gotta play this instrument I really wanna try and facilitate being like exploratory as much as possible and fearless 
When do we give our kids comic books? I want to start giving my kids comic books now. Well, we're going to give you comics to give But can them. I, are there comic books I can give, like, that don't, because I know they have, like, kind of sanitized versions of Star Wars, like Star Wars for toddlers right. and stuff. Like, I want to give age-appropriate comic books to my kids. Is that a thing? I would say err on the side of caution with some of them, but, yeah. I mean, for the most part, they try not to, like, like you say, like, kill or whatever. There's a couple people that use guns and things, but... yeah. And some are for mature readers, but most of them are pretty. They okay. are, yeah. Because I, I, I mean, my my son, the, there's there's a couple comic books in my house, and he just pours over them. Yeah. And so, like, I, I'm like, well, I don't want, I want you to, and it's because it's beautiful, and like, graphic novels are amazing. Like, I I read graphic novels a bunch, and I'm a lot of people that I follow, and so it's like, yeah, I want you to be into this this method of storytelling. So I, but I just didn't know really where to start. I've been in a few comic book stores asking, mm-hmm. actually, like, what can I get my four-year-old son you know and they're like go over there and it's like you know like board books with like princess leia i don't know well, well let's yeah let's that. let's, we'll, let's yeah, sort we'll it out this um, good we only have time for one more question but I, w- I wanted to ask uh how can fans reach you online or how can they pick up the new-ish record what's what's up next for the band and yourselves personally as well uh well, we're pretty accessible how do how do they reach us facebook twitter i'm on twitter if you say something about our band, I've seen it on Twitter, and I respond. <laughs> That's awesome. Usually, but all I'll do with people are like, Guster's the worst band ever. I usually just favorite it, and I don't even... But sometimes if they say something really mean and it's funny, I, I like to give them a little props. Like, somebody yesterday was like, Guster's the most vanilla band ever, and I was like, not as vanilla as Boston or Ben and Jerry's or something. And then, <laughs> and then a lot of times people will be like, I'm just kidding, I really like your band or whatever. But yeah, if you just say something really mean about us on Twitter, that I'll reach out to you. That's awesome. <laughs> We're pretty accessible. If people need to say something to us, it generally reaches us. Um, and uh, if you want to find our album and you just don't know how to find it, then you're not living in <laughs> you're not living society. you're not listening to a marvel.com podcast Sorry, I, someone from our record label here you go to your local tower records you <laughs> know tower records is closed it's out of business go to your lo- you go to your nearest streaming site oh you can order vinyl from us if you want to have a physical object um, and you know we haven't really talked that much internally about what we want to do next I think I think for me, and I don't even know if I've told you yet this yet. Um, I just want I just want to keep getting weirder and further out there, and that even might we had a really this last record was really great because we had a batch of songs and we found a really uh, great co-conspirator in this guy Richard Swift who was very unconventional and made these really kind of cool weird records, and I think we're kind of really interested in collaborators that can help you know help push us forward and and maybe not waiting four years between records and maybe we can do an EP or maybe we can do some songs or maybe we can write some songs to somebody else. I think we're really open to, um, you know, we were talking with a film, with a movie studio about scoring an entire film for them. And that was really interesting to us. I think, you know, for me, part of the, how it's all ties in the film is just the fearlessness of it all of like, well, we're a good band and we like to write songs and that doesn't mean we have to make a record every four years we can collaborate we can like oh you marvel you want to you know we even had something come across our desk the other day that was like a twitter sourced song or something but it was like it was branded and it felt a little bit icky but i was like oh that's a great idea you know 
I think we're just really open to how can it's a, the wild west out there. Mm-hmm. Like not, and you can do anything. It's like, what's TV? What's movies anymore? Is TV a television thirteen season, uh, you know episode? No, TV can be the Jinx. It can be Sopranos. You know, so like that's true with music, and I, I that's the part of it that's really exciting to me that maybe we don't have to sort of avail ourselves of this like anachronistic idea of a band is their albums which is you know 45 minutes long and because that's not how people consume music uh, media anymore so i'm really excited about that kind of stuff that's awesome well guys thanks so much this is a huge pleasure and i really appreciate it i hope that this was somewhat relevant to the marvel fan base perfect for me okay thanks blake (laughs) thanks guys this is marvel your universe